0: Amen. Take your Bibles, if you would, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, and uh, we're going to look at verses 9 and 10. Just a reminder real quick before we read these verses together, what we've already looked at, if you remember, we looked and we saw that we are living stones. And you say, what do you mean by living stones? Well, because Christ is the living stone, we derive our life from him, therefore we become living stones. And then we discovered last Sunday night that as a living stone, Christ becomes a stumbling block to those that are lost or those that disobey. And he even says he becomes a rock of offense in verse number eight. And so he chronicles who we are as a church. Then he chronicles who others are that do not know Christ. He says, this is what's true of you, the saved. This is what's true of them that are not. And then the first word of verse 9, but. So now he goes back and he's going to talk about who we are. We just sung the song, I am who he says I am. Can I ask you a question? Do you believe that? Because that's what we're going to look at. So who am I? I'm entitled this message simply this, I am what? Because a lot of times we don't understand who we really are. Look at these verses with me. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, But are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. All I can say is mercy. Let's pray. Father, speak to us through this passage. For your honor, your glory, and your namesake, in Jesus' name, and all God's children said Amen. You may be seated. Well, I want you to look at this passage as he begins to contrast again the saved from the lost. Living stones to those that allow the living stone, the Lord Jesus, to be a rock of offense in their life. Yet at the same time, but you are. Now, I want you to look first at the truth about the saved. The truth about the saved. Now, notice the word very clearly. It says, but you are, not you will be, not you might be, you are a. Now, let me tell you something, folks. What we're about to look at today is a settled fact and a settled truth for every born-again child of God. I've said this to you before. I've said it to you a million times. I want to tell you something, I'm going to say it a million more times as long as God gives me breath to breathe. And you say, what did you say to us so many times? The greatest need we have is to know who we became when we became a child of God. And if you don't understand who you became, you're never going to know the glorious riches and inheritance that you have in Jesus Christ. If you don't know how God sees you, How are you going to ever know how to see yourself? And we must see ourselves the way God sees us. And you say, why is that important? Number one, it'll expose any deception. Number two, it'll encourage the downhearted. If you see yourself the way God sees you and you're truly saved, if it don't pick your, your head up, if it don't lift your head up as they sung a little bit, if it don't cause joy and praise to come from your lips, I promise you, you need to check up to make sure you are who you think you are. To see ourselves as God sees us. Well, I want to tell you, there's no passage that outlines it more than this right here. And so I want you to look at the truth concerning the saved. Now, he goes through these defining characteristics of how God sees the same. Now here's what's unique about this truth. All of these was while God saw Israel in the Old Testament. It's what God said about Israel in the Old Testament. Now he's saying about you and me, the church. Now some take these words that we're going to look at in just a moment, and some take them to say that when God gave the gospel to the church, And he turned away from giving the gospel to Israel that the church became Israel. I want to say something to that real quick. Absolutely not. The Abrahamic covenant is to Israel, not to the church. Now you say, well, how do you know that? How do you know that the church is not the new Israel? I want to tell you how I know. Number one is simply this. Israel was a physical race God chose. The church is a spiritual race God chose. Now you say, wait a minute, I'm a physical person, I'm part of the church. You are, but I want to tell you something. The church is made up of individuals that make up a spiritual body, and that body is the body of Christ. And so we're not Israel. You say, well, why would God say of us what he said of Israel? Because we became, in a spiritual form, what Israel will never allow themselves to become. Now, with that being said, I want you to see, I'm going to look at four things that are the truth about the saved in this verse. The first thing is a selected people. He says, you are a chosen generation. Now, the word generation here can be translated two other ways, and both are correct. Can be chosen people, or here's the best translation, a chosen race. Now, listen to me. How many of you agree today when God saved you? You became God's people. You became a chosen race. Now, listen to me. Here's what's glorious about God's people. The Bible says there's no Jew or Gentile. In other words, can I tell you something? The race that is under Christ, here's the reality of it. It don't matter if a person is black, white, Hispanic, or any other. Let me tell you something. We are all one people equally in Christ Jesus under God. We became one race. A spiritual race. But now, here's what he's saying. He said, you are a chosen race or a chosen people. What does that mean? That means God initiated and God chose you. You didn't choose him. Now, I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. When God separated Israel unto himself, the Bible makes it clear that when God chose Israel to be a nation unto himself, it had nothing to do with them. You say, how do you know it didn't have anything to do with him? Well, the Bible says it. You say, where does the Bible say it? This is not on your outlines that you have, so you can write it down. Deuteronomy chapter 7, and look at it with me, verse 7 and 8. Watch what it says. The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people. In other words, Israel, guess what? If you think I chose you because you were a greater nation than the others, you are wrong. Then he goes on to say, because you were not more in number than any other people, for they were the fewest of all people. So in other words, God chose Israel when they wasn't. I mean, God started from nothing when he chose Israel. But because the Lord loved you, And because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of the bondman from hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So why did God choose Israel? He loved them. Guess what? God initiated your salvation. You had to respond. God didn't force you to be saved. But God initiated your salvation not because of what you've done, not because he looked at you and says, wow, I think he would be a good one. I hear people all the time, boy, I want to tell you, so-and-so passed away. And here's what I hear at funerals all the time. Boy, I want to tell you, God's getting a good one today. I got news for you. There's no good about us. The only good about us is Jesus. He didn't choose us because we were good. He chose us because he placed his love upon a people like me, like you, that were unlovable. And how's God see us? A people that God has placed His love upon. A people that God has initiated their salvation. A people that God, in mercy and grace, when we wasn't seeking for Him, came looking for us. And a people that God saved, set apart, and chose unto Himself as dear and precious. You say, preacher, you don't know me. I'm not very dear and precious. If you're in Christ, you are to God because God sees you in Christ Jesus. John chapter 15, verse 16, the Lord's speaking there in the upper room, and here's what he said. To his children, you, are not, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go forth and bring forth much fruit and that your fruit should remain. Listen, if you're saved today, it wasn't by happenstance. It wasn't by accident. It wasn't because you were in the right place at the right time. If you're saved today, it's because God put His love upon you. And by the way, for anybody that may take that statement wrongly, let me clarify. It's not His will that any should perish, but all come to repentance. God chose us. We're a chosen people so we see a selected people this is how god sees us look secondly at a sovereign priesthood watch what he says he says you are a chosen generation now i want to i want to put this in its right vernacular if you'll let me because the word there you are in the original is in front of each of these so in other words he says you are A chosen generation. And you are. I'm what? You are. What? A royal priesthood. Can you imagine? A royal priesthood? How many of you agree today that we've looked at a holy priesthood in verse 5 last week? But here he doesn't use the word holy, he uses the word royal. How many of you agree today that the priesthood in the Old Testament, the Levitical priesthood in the Old Testament, God saw as his vessels set apart for his service to intermingle or be intermediaries between him and them? Would you all agree with that? Say amen. How many you agree that they had to bring sacrifices every day continually? There could never be a time there wasn't a sacrifice upon the altar of God. And there could never be a time there wasn't incense that came from the ashes of the offering upon the altar of incense. And these priests daily would bring the sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, in ashes after ashes after ashes for the incense, and these priests would have to keep all of these things going. Why? Because that's the only way God could be pleased. And God could be worshipped. And yet none of these priests could enter into the Holy of Holies of God's presence. Except for the high priest one time a year. So in other words, if you were... They had, if you will, there were sections or priestly sections which they would serve on a given period of time and then a next section would serve and then the next section would serve. And here they would do, they would serve and they'd keep ashes upon the altar of incense. They'd keep offerings upon the burnt offering and they would do this day after day after day until their allotted time was up. Then a next section would come on do the same thing and they never got to enjoy God's presence. But you are. Oh, listen. You're not a Levitical priesthood. You are something far greater than a Levitical priesthood. You are the priesthood of God. And what does that mean to me? That means you don't have to wait for one man one time a year to go into the presence of God on your behalf. The Bible says that when Jesus died, the temple veil was ripped from top to bottom. And when the Lord Jesus came and took his life and placed it inside of you, you derived from him who he was. And listen, he was king and he was priest. The Bible says that the Levitical priesthood was a kingly priesthood, a kingdom of priests. But they was not kings. But the Bible says of you and me that we are not just priests, but we're kings and priests. You say, how can I be a king? How can I be a priest? Because Jesus is king of kings. And can I tell you something? He is the glorious high priest. And when he came alive in you, he made you a priest unlike the Old Testament priests. Access to God unlike them. The ability to commune with God, unlike them. And then he made you kings. You say, what do you mean kings? Hey, I want to tell you, the Levitical priesthood, all they did was serve God, try to appease God. But can I tell you, there's coming a day we're to serve him because he's king. But here's the reality. There's coming a day when we won't just serve him, we'll rule and reign with him. The Levitical priesthood couldn't ever say that. You see, here's the reality. They were a ritualistic priesthood. They went through the rituals of what God laid out. But the Bible says of you and I, we are royal priesthood. I'm what? I'm a royal priesthood, a chosen people. a sanctified people. It says you are a holy nation. This was the admonition that God gave Israel over and over again. You are to be holy as I am holy. We've looked at that in relation to the church already. So what does this mean, a holy nation? simply means this, that your nationality as a Christian, now I'm probably going to rub somebody wrong here, but can I tell you something? In all love, you'll get over it. Your nationality of a Christian is not confined to the borders of the East Coast and the West Coast. Your nationality as a Christian, listen to me, is not confined by any continent, any state, any county, or any country. Your nationality of a Christian is that you are a nation set apart unto God for God's glory. By the way, I praise God for our nation. But I want to hear it tell you. Unless God intervenes, our nation is already gone. And with that said, how many of you glad today you have the freedom to come in here and worship? I'm going to tell you how God made that happen. Because of the veterans that fought for this country. But the borders of this country don't define you as a Christian. You are a nation set apart unto God. You are a nation that is sanctified, set apart, as holy unto God. Now, here's the reality Israel's father was Abraham. Israel couldn't call God father. Y'all do know that. Say amen. David couldn't call him father. Matter of fact, Jesus told the Pharisees in the Gospels, Your father, Abraham. And then he contrasted it, but my father. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Now listen. So here's the reality. The Bible says in Romans 4, Romans 5, that Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. So how did God see Abraham? Imputed means given to him for righteousness. In other words, God equated righteousness upon Abraham based upon his faith. How many of you glad today that when you came through grace through faith that resulted in repentance, God imputed righteousness unto you? But here's what it doesn't say, that you and I can be said. For you and I, he didn't just impute righteousness. He imparted righteousness. You say, what do you mean? Hey, he didn't just lay righteousness upon me and see me through the righteousness of the sacrifice, the righteousness of the Lamb of God. Hey, I want to tell you something. He took the righteousness of God, did far more than just impute it upon me. He put it in me, and the Lord Jesus, my righteousness, your righteousness, became my life source. And God sees you as a holy nation. You say, well, who's the king of this nation? Jesus Christ. The one that made you holy. So we see a selected people. We see a sovereign priesthood. We see a sanctified people. But look, fourthly, a special possession. Oh, I love this. This is taken out of context so, so much. It says a peculiar people. Now, most of the time when we read this, 99.99% of the times that I've heard it taught or preached, here's the way it's taught, that you are to be a different people from everybody else. Well, I'm going to tell you something. That's true, but that's not what that's saying. Here's the way it's defined in the Greek. You are a people for his possession. That's what the word peculiar means. You are a people for his possession. Now you say, well, what do you mean by that, preacher? It simply means this, that you are a people poor for profession. Meaning what? That God possessed you. God possessed you. Purchase you god brought you unto himself god made you his people god made you peculiar why because you're not the world's anymore you're his now are you going to be different yes but see can i tell you something a religious lost person can look different and look peculiar How many of you agree there's a lot of lost people you walk around and you see them dressed the way they're dressed, acting the way they act? You scratch your head and say, that's peculiar. (laughs) Now, in this day and age we live into, a lot of people don't think it's peculiar anymore. I just got us kicked off YouTube again. (laughs) But that's not what this is talking about. Hey, I want to tell you something. Here's what it's talking about. That God not only chose you, but God chose to pay for you, possess you, cause you to be his by ownership, his by payment. And I want to tell you how precious God saw his children, that he was willing to pay the ultimate price to the blood and the life of his own begotten son. Would you give your child's life for anybody you know? God did. Now don't us get to big head today when we walk around and say, oh, I'm precious to God because He purchased me. Oh, I got news for you. The only thing that made you precious was the Lord Jesus? But you are precious. Possession. Let me put it to you another way. You're his masterpiece. Ephesians 2. You're his treasure. Think of the most precious thing that either you think you own. You say, why do you think I own? Because if you're saved today, you don't own anything. Some of y'all will get that later on. But think of the most precious thing you think you own. Or the most precious thing in your life. Maybe it's a person. What depths would you go to to provide and protect what you consider the most precious thing in your life? Now you take what you thought of what I would do. What depth would I go? You manifest that about a thousand times and you might touch the hem of the garment of what Jesus would do for you. You are his pet precious possession. Why would he want me? What did he see in me? Nothing. Why would he want me? Because you were a vessel that when God showed you were lost, you were a vessel that in God's grace, you said, yes, that's me. And I'm desperate. And God saved you. And God put within you a treasure in an earthen vessel, 2 Corinthians 4. And the vessel became precious because the treasure that was in it was highly precious. I'm what? You're a chosen nation. Chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You are a sanctified people. and You are a special possession. Well, that's the truth. Look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 17. How did God see Israel? And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts. In that day, when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them, as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Did God see Israel as special? But Israel didn't have the Lord Jesus living in them. You do. Preacher, are you saying I'm a jewel unto God? Oh, you're more than that. Let me tell you how precious God sees his children. As precious as he sees his own son. Because that's the only way God can look upon you or me is through his son. You're precious. You say, no, preacher, I'm wicked. You are that too. And I am too. Without Christ. Do you all agree with that? Say amen. Without Christ, there's no good in me. But in Christ, he sees us as precious. Well, that's the truth about the say. Notice the testimony of the say. Look at the bottom verse 9. That you should show forth the praises of him. So why did God tell us all this about us? That we should show forth the praises of him. In other words, let me put it to you another way. How many of you remember the day God showed you for the first time you were lost? How many of you remember how absolutely horrifying that was to you? I mean, to see yourself the way God saw you, in your sin, in your losses, and then all of a sudden God saved you, but much more than that, he made you his chosen people, his royal priesthood, his holy nation, and his possessed peculiar people and now all of a sudden with that glorious salvation in the light and in the reality of what i saw about myself when god brought conviction upon me when i was lost how could i not say hey listen let me tell you about the magnificency of my god because that's what this is saying There's two things here, the example of his excellency. When you see this word praise is here, it can be translated and is translated excellencies of God. That I may show forth the excellency of God. Here's the picture, that I may show forth. What does that mean? It means that I would be an example of his excellency, an example of his praise, an example of his virtue, an example of his character. Uh, This is a quotation, partly from Isaiah 43, 21. This people have I formed, speaking of Israel, for myself, that they should show forth my praise. It's where this verse comes from. And so listen here. So God made you all these things. You are who who he says you are. And he made you all these things for a purpose. Not that you could go through life and just have, well, I can go through life. I'm happy. I know where I'm going after I die. I'll just make it through till I get there and everything will be, oh, no, 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 no. God didn't save you for you. God saved you for himself, that you could show forth his excellency. Now, let me ask you a question. If God made you all these things when he saved you, was that an excellent work? All right, let me ask you a second question. Everybody that knows you, can they walk away from you saying, man, that God just saved him, he's excellent. The example of His Excellency. The expression of His Excellency. This word show forth means to express. Not just express in words, but to express in actions. Major Ian Thomas says it this way. As a child of God, filled with the life of God, you and I ought to be an audible, visual representation of who God is to a lost and dying world. How many you agree the, the key characteristic of God is He's holy? Do you all agree with that? Say amen. You say, why is that the key characteristic? Because it's based upon His holiness that you and I were born lost. Because we couldn't measure up. So those people we come in contact with that have continuous relationships with us, can they walk away from you? God's chosen people. God's royal priesthood. God's holy nation. God's peculiar people can they walk away from you and say, man, God's holy? Let me ask you a question. When the Old Testament priesthood would go through their rituals, how many agree they were meticulous in what they did? Now, I'm not going to take time to go through all what they did. We'd be here for another two hours. But I'm telling you right now, if you were in the outer court of the temple and you saw what all the priests did, you would walk away from there going, wow, boy, I want to tell you something. They are zealous because they know the holiness of God. But you're not only his priest, you're his king. You're kings and priests. Notice thirdly and lastly this morning, the transformation of the saved. The truth about the saved, the testimony of the saved, and the transformation of the saved. Watch this. I'm to show forth the excellency, the praises of Him. Why? Because He's the one that called me out of darkness into His marvelous light. I want you to see a couple things here. The overflow of grace. He called us out. Grace that translated. Colossians chapter 1 verse 3 who delivered us from the power of darkness translated us into the kingdom of his son. The word translate is the word that we get the picture of rapture immediately moved from one place to another. Let me tell you something when God saved you he didn't gradually bring you out of darkness into light he brought you right then and there out of darkness into light. And the overflow of his grace was this that God who saw us as Enemies would allow His grace to overflow towards us and in our darkness, which means our blindness, which means our sin. It means we don't have no light. We don't have any direction. We don't have any understanding. And God would open the blind eyes and God would turn the light switch on. God translated. But not only grace that translated, grace that triumphed. So he called us out of darkness, brought us in to his marvelous light. Can I tell you something today? If you've truly been saved, you win! It's one thing for God to call me out, Brandon. That's grace. But it's another thing for God to bring me in. It's one thing for God to expose my darkness. It's another thing for God to turn a light switch on. And in light of what he's done, How can I not want to show forth His Excellency? How many of y'all are grandparents? Raise your hand. Okay. How many agree when your first grandchild was born, you blew your Facebook page up okay you blew your phone up you blew your camera up and everybody you saw here's what you did hey come here come here man god i want to show you something boy isn't this the most precious thing you've ever seen in your life And nobody would have any option to tell you, that that child's ugly. (laughs) Have y'all ever seen an ugly baby? No. Absolutely not. Y'all say amen. Why? Because every child's a gift from God. You bragged and you bragged and you bragged and you bragged. When you had family reunions, you picked that little grandbaby up and you took that grandbaby around and showed it to every person in your family. Look at my grandchild. Your wife, your husband, your grandchild, your child did not do for you what Jesus Christ did for you. And yet how much of our conversation is about him? not only overflow of grace, the outflow of grace. Notice what he says: Which in time past you were not a people, but now the people of God. In other words, in your lostness, God could not even look upon you because a holy God could not even look upon sin. And so, in God's eyes, you were not a people. But when God saved you, He made you what you were not. And now, not just He made you a people, oh, much more than that. He made you the people of Himself, His people, for His glory, for His pleasure. To manifest his love towards. Lastly, um, obtaining grace. Which had not obtained mercy. But now have obtained mercy. Let me tell you how this reads in the original Greek. When it says which had not obtained mercy, here's what it means in the original Greek which tried to obtain but could not find it. Listen to what I'm about to say. A lot of people are trying to find grace by church membership, a lot of people are trying to find gr- mercy by baptism, a lot of people are trying to find mercy by going through some formalistic things that the church has concocted over the years. I got news for you. None of those will let you have mercy. Because here's the reality. It's passive in its voice, which means what? That only God could give the mercy. I couldn't obtain it. I couldn't garner it. I couldn't work for it. I couldn't be good enough for it. I couldn't give enough for it. I couldn't serve enough for it. I couldn't teach enough for it. I couldn't preach enough for it. But praise God, God knew I couldn't and he did. But now, we've obtained mercy. I didn't need nothing to get it, but say yes. Then, do you know today, child of God? Do you have fullness awareness today that I am who He says I am? Do you understand the magnitude of who you are in Christ? A chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, people of his possession? And if you do, when people see you, are they walking around with an understanding of the excellency? Of the one that made you who you are. Because out of a heart of gratitude and a heart of praise. You know God called you out of darkness. And God brought you into the light. And God made you a people when you wasn't a people. And God gave you mercy when you didn't deserve the mercy. So here's the question. Is there anybody in here this morning that just honestly with a true heart say, that's never happened to me? And if it has happened to you, how many of us would be in here willing to say this? God, I want to praise you today that all of these things that you said about me, they're true of me. But Father I need to confess this morning but I've really not fully realized the magnitude of how you see me and because of that I've not been the proper display of your excellency so would you work that in me that I would be the showpiece of your grace your forgiveness your love, your holiness. And that when people walk away from me, they'd see you. Because I am what I am. Because of you. Not what I've done, but you did. People have seen me. Liberty Baptist Church, listen to me. You've seen me far too much. And I'm sorry. All I want is him to see, for folks to see him. Because he brought me out. And he brought me in. You obey God. Please stand.